I was raised to believe that the Bible defines good and evil for us within its pages. But when we stop and examine this idea using the Bible, we discover something else. In the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. A tree that would bring life to all who ate of its fruit, and a tree that brought death. And it was the second tree, the tree that resulted in death, that contained the knowledge of good and evil. Have we been deceived by the serpent who is trying to get us to eat of the second tree? Is the Bible really trying to define good and evil for us? Let's take a step back. Let's run an experiment. Instead of seeking to define good and evil, let's instead ask the question of the trees. Let's attempt to define life and death, but to do so, we must first seek it out. So join us as we Deresh Chai, as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where we attempt to discern good doctrine from bad. I'm Aaron Bishop, here with my beautiful wife Rebecca. Hey guys. And today, we are in Job chapter 11. And we meet the final of the three friends of Job. This week, we are introduced to Zophar, the Naamathite. So, Naamathite probably means he came from the land of Naaman, which nobody really knows where it is. Yeah, it's probably not the guy that dipped seven times in the no, water. No, and he's Jordan. probably not an Assyrian either. <laughs> uh, it's thought that the land of Naaman it was somewhere in southern Arabia. Um, again, it seems as though most of the story is happening out on the Arabian Peninsula somewhere. The trend of not knowing who anyone is or where they're from continues. It's, it's still tracking. Yeah, yeah. so uh, that's, that's a theme that exists throughout the entire book of Job. We're batting up 0 for, 0 for 3 now. 0 for 4. Well, true. <laughs> we don't even know who Job is. Yeah, true. We don't We don't have a exact answer for that question. So, yeah. There is one character in this book that we at least know. God. God. (laughs) God. Yeah. So, so where is he from? Yeah. Well, um, heaven. Everywhere. He's from heaven. (laughs) Save us from heaven, the lyrics say, don't you know? The lyrics, yes. (laughs) So, anyway. So, yeah, uh, so far. um, So, we've seen his two friends already before. The the first friend, Eliphaz. So, if we remember back to the conversation that Eliphaz had with Job, he really tried to console Job with the idea that what he is going through is a form of punishment. It's a form of correction. It's a form of training. And if Job just will learn what he needs to learn, then everything will be okay. He will he will be rewarded once again. He'll be lifted back on high, and all of his all of his goods and his belongings will be returned to him. Then the second friend, Bildad the Shuhite, he came at it from the perspective of, well, this is what our fathers said. This is what our mm-hmm. tradition said. This is what the this is what this, we were handed even, down to us. This is even what you yourself have taught, right, Job. And so just listen to yourself. You know this to be true because we know God doesn't punish good people and God does punish the wicked. And because you are obviously here being punished, then God is punishing you. Well, this week we're going to get a slightly different take on the same old theme because they're all coming at it from the point of view that God punishes the wicked and that God rewards the just and the righteous. But this week we get a different spin on it, rather than what Job is experiencing being some sort of 
training to try to correct Job for the wrong that he has done, and that once he learns from this training, God will restore him back to his proper place, as Eliphaz puts it, or as Bildad puts it, simply the way that things are, and you just need to repent, you need to return, you need to You've obviously done wrong because that's what we've learned about God. That's what our fathers have handed down. So we have the positive outlook and the the traditional outlook. This time we're going to get more of the negative outlook. And Mm -hmm. it's really a different feel to what the friends are trying to do. Yeah, it's even different in the way that he approaches. Because Zophar really has a very self-righteous, almost antagonistic approach. And instead of the soft, gentle approach that we saw with Eliphaz, we see Zophar is just kind of a jerk. Yeah, he is kind of a jerk. And we're really going to feel that from his words. But at the same time, I'm sure many of us can relate. Because we have to remember, Zophar is a well-meaning friend. His words seem jerkish, but he feels as though he's doing the right thing because he feels as though he is defending God. And, he, and he it's probably his feels job vindicated. to defend God, right? Yeah. He feels vindicated and right in what he's doing. Don't you know that this is the right thing? How dare you malign God by saying this? You're in the wrong. You're suffering. Obviously, you're the one who did something wrong. And you're being punished because of your sins. And so, yeah, he's coming at it from the self-righteous standpoint. And it gets a little bit deeper in this because, uh, frankly, a lot of us have been brought up to kind of think of God in the same way that, that uh, Zophar thinks of God. So let's go ahead and let's read chapter 11, and then let's return and talk about Zophar and what he is trying to, to say. Job chapter 11. Then Zophar the Naamathite answered and said, Should so many words go unanswered? Is a man justified by his lips? Will your idle talk silence men, and will no one rebuke you when you mock? For you have said, My teaching is flawless, and I am pure in your eyes. But if only God would speak and open his lips against you, and show you the secrets of wisdom, for sound wisdom has two sides, know that God has forgotten some of your iniquity. Can you discover the mysteries of God? Can you find the limits of Shaddai? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. If he comes by and imprisons or convenes a court, who can prevent him? For he knows deceitful men. When he sees wickedness, does he not consider it? But a witless man will gain understanding when a wild donkey's colt is born a human being. If you devote your heart to him and spread out your hands to him, if you put away the wickedness that is in your hand and allow no iniquity to abide in your tent, then you will lift up your face without reproach. You will stand firm and without fear. You will forget your trouble. You will remember it like water that has flowed away. Life will be brighter than noonday, darkness like the morning. You will be confident because there is hope. You will look about you and lie down in safety. You will lie down with no one to make you afraid. Many will seek your favor, but the eyes of the wicked will fail, and escape will elude them. Their only hope is their dying breath. Man, you just, you feel for Job after that. 
It feels like he's getting a tongue lashing on top of everything else. It really feels like Zophar just wants to dig it in deep, you know? Well, right. And and I think he's doing that because he truly thinks Job is in the wrong. What Job is saying, the complaints that he's making, this depression that he's in, the feelings of righteousness that he has, the inability to recognize anything wrong that he's done. He feels as though, okay, Job, you're deluding yourself now. You are an absolute abject delusion. We know this is how God works, and you're refusing to just see the truth. And so now I've got to take a hard line with you because right. because well, you refuse to rec- acknowledge truth. I mean, we are 11 chapters into this, and it's the first time this guy's opened his mouth. Right. And he's listened to Job reply to each one of the other guy's instructions and care. And he's like, okay, I'm kind of run out of patience for you. I kind of don't really care about your feelings at this point. You're gonna, you're just sitting here wallowing. You're just sitting here being ridiculous. You know the truth. Let's just call a spade a spade. And that's kind of where he's, where I see him coming from. Right. So, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but this is a place that I have gone at least once when trying to help someone through a difficult time. This, all right, you've dealt with it enough. You're, you're clearly not seeing the picture. Me looking in from the outside, I can see this picture clearer than you, and I've got the answer for you. You need to do these things, and it'll be fine. Got It'll be fixed. And... To my chagrin, that is not how you need to deal with a person who's in depression. That is not how you deal with a person who is suffering loss. Even if you are right, you don't deal with them in this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that self-righteous attitude really does nothing more than put up walls between you and the person you're trying to help. Yeah, puts wedges between your relationship and can completely fracture it. Right. And Zophar really feels as though he is defending God's honor here. He mm-hmm. has he has the zealous attitude of uh, you are you are maligning the name of my God. You are saying things about him that are not true because if you are right and you are righteous before God, then God is doing this for no reason. And and You're making him look bad, right? Because he cannot do that. Right. That is not in his nature to do something like this or to allow something like this to an innocent and righteous person. Right. And one of the things he gets into is uh, the idea of total depravity. Mm, um, Calvin? A Calvinist, but I mean, there is a measure of total depravity that I, I kind of agree with. So for those of you who don't know, total depravity is a doctrine of Calvinism. That uh, says that we as humans, without God, without Yeshua, we are completely depraved. Even if we attempt to do something good, it won't be a good thing because uh, the heart in which it's done is one that is that is completely depraved before God and un- incapable of doing a good thing for a right reason, in essence. And Zophar is kind of touching on that here. Yeah, I would agree with that to a point. Um, That's definitely kind of where I grew up, is believing that there was, 
there's literally nothing redeemable about humankind without being saved. And I mean, yes, that's true, but it was also taken to the point where even when you were saved, you're still basically garbage on life support. All right. And I don't actually agree with that, with that element of that same teaching. Well, and as I've grown to understand the concept of good and evil versus life and death uh, more and more, I've come to recognize that bad people do good things all the time. All the time. All the time. Uh, terrible people who are not saved do good things. Right. Do morally right justice and upright things, and they'll do them out of good motives. The problem is, is good isn't good enough. Right. Good being a moral person, being an upright, outstanding, in virtue type person, isn't going to earn you anything before God. And vice versa, someone who is saved, who does have their faith solely in Yeshua or God, as far as like Abraham and David didn't know Yeshua, but they were waiting for a savior, them doing something wrong, even David killing someone or having them killed, mm -hmm. doesn't cast them out from God's promise. Right, right. Because it's not about morality. It's not about doing good things. And so far, so much wants to make your standing before God about the good and the evil things that you do. Right. And that's something, quite frankly, that I see a lot of in this particular movement. Particular movement. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's it leans towards legalism mm -hmm. and you have to do it my way or you're in sin. Uh, having mm -hmm. I have to call everybody out. Every person I've ever known, I have to tell them they can't eat bacon. Right. <laughs> you know, like make their entire world about telling people to not eat bacon. I'm like, you know what? I don't eat bacon. I don't like bacon. I think it's disgusting. But it's not going to save you. Right. <laughs> That's right. not yeah. what we need to make our world about. Yeah, your salvation isn't based at all on anything you do. And Zophar is trying to make the point that it is what you do that saves you, that makes you right before God, and that will return you to his good graces, which this whole book is trying to completely discount. It, it, it's God's choice to do good to a person or to do mm -hmm. evil for a to a person for his own purposes. It's not what you do. It's not something you earn. It's something that God gives you for his purposes that we are completely unable to discern or comprehend, mm -hmm. which makes it very hard for us, especially when we go through those difficult things. Mm -hmm. Actually, I was listening to your podcast Podcast number 42, actually, uh, which is coming out in a couple of weeks on YouTube. But I was listening to it as I was editing it this week. And one thing you said in there was it really struck me. And it said, you, you said, we, we don't have a right to anything. Yeah. We don't have right even to life. Yeah. It is a gift. It can be given and it can be taken, but it is a gift. 
And it is not our right to assert certain things. It's not our right to have children. It's not our right to have things, good things, bad things, whatever. It's not our right. It's not our right. right to have liberty. It's not our right to have property. It's not our none, right to, none of those to are have freedom. It's rights. not our right to, to have the pursuit of happiness. Those are things that are nice. They're good. We want them, but we don't deserve them inherently because we draw breath. And even the fact of drawing breath isn't a right. It's a it, gift. It's a gift. The source of where I got it from is interesting because it's a it's a Robert Heinlein's Starship Troopers, not not the not the stupid movie. not the movie. Well, the, the movie book. is brilliant in its own way, but it's satire. <laughs> um, the movie, the book, they're both satire. But in uh, one place in the book, he's he's sitting in class learning from his teacher about about rights, and the teacher is making this point mostly because you know the government really doesn't want to give rights so much. You have to earn everything with this government. And so he makes his point, but that that point, I think, still stands with God. We don't necessarily have a right to anything. We can earn certain things. Uh, for example, you can earn a wage. You don't have a right to a wage, but you can earn a wage. Mm -hmm. It's a complete shift in paradigm when you start to recognize that you don't have rights in your life, that it's all gifts. Mm -hmm. And... This is something that Job is struggling with because he's lost everything and he's had all those gifts taken away. Mm -hmm. They've been revoked for whatever reason. And his friends keep wanting to make it about they've been revoked because you did a bad thing. Right. And you haven't repented of it. And God's trying to get your attention to get you to repent. Right. And Job's just can't figure out what it is. And so he's in this place struggling with, what did I do? Right. God, what did I do? What? Yeah. How, show me. Show me. I'll repent. Right. Yeah. And I uh, spoke earlier about, you know, it's God kind of making the choices for that. It's his own good will and it's his own choice to allow things to happen or to cause things to happen, good or evil, in our lives. But there's also, we got to consider the fact that we live in a world that has fallen, that is chaotic, that features things like death and destruction and chaos. And we live in the midst of that, that this world is trying to kill us and it will one day succeed in each and every single one of our cases, yep. except for those who just happen to be alive when the Messiah returns. It will kill us. This world, because of its fallen state, because of the sin that's part of the world as much as it's part of us, things like this happen simply for that that simple fact. It doesn't need to be more than that. It doesn't need to be a decree from God or an act of Satan. It, it's just sin and chaos that is having its way in our world. I don't think that it happens without God's knowledge. Obviously not. I don't think it necessarily even happens without his allowing Allowance. it. Right. But often it's God just allowing the world to work the way it works. Right. Rather than intervening to prevent something terrible from happening. So when your child gets sick, that's this world. It's Yeah. When, it's, when there are bullies at school and they're relentless and they're horrific and your every 
day is torture. That's life. That's this world. That's the just the crappy fallen nature of this world. Right. I mean, the the people of Ukraine can really identify with that right now when your world is at peace and everything seems fine. And then the next day, bombs are falling around your head and your entire cities are being destroyed. And suddenly you've got to go to the front line and fight this invading nation. That's a broken world. Mm -hmm. That is the product of a broken world. And yes, God knows it. God maybe even is directing it, but he's only doing so because of the broken nature of this world. And because he knows good and evil, he is able to use both as tools. And that's that's an idea that makes some people squirm. God can do evil things? Yeah. Uh, evil Not is, morally evil. Right. I, evil is a different... It, it's definitely got a spin to it. Right. I don't think God does morally evil. He doesn't do, you know, I want to say evil because that's the word that I want to use. But he doesn't do reprehensible things. He does things that we see as evil, like tidal waves and earthquakes and acts of God that we even in our insurance company policies it's declared as such an act act of of god God. right um he does and he does small scale stuff you you're whatever i don't know you lost your job well maybe you lost your job and you see that it is evil but it's because god has something better for you or he wants to move you somewhere and you can't go there if you're stuck at this job there are so many reasons for bad things happening and we see them as bad but they might not be right yeah so with that let's actually go through this chapter a little bit and kind of break down each section just a little bit and discuss um and then uh we'll call it a uh call it an episode uh so so far when he begins verses like one through six he addresses job's previous speeches you spoke a multitude of words. Your own lips are declaring you're right, but obviously your circumstances are. You've said your discourse is flawless and clean in your eyes, but if only God would open his mouth, then you would hear he's going to declare you wrong. If, if God were here to defend himself, he'd tell you you're wrong. In fact, you know what? You're only alive, verse 6, because God has forgotten some of your crookednesses for you. And I would agree with that statement wholeheartedly. Right. But... Not in the way that he's using it as a, a battering ram. As a ram. bludgeon. Right, right. <laughs> so you're obviously wrong. You've done something wrong, and God is punishing you for it. And then in verse 7, he transitions a little bit. He, God's so big, you can't search him out. Right. How can you possibly know what God's ends are? You you don't know the measure of the earth or how broad the sea is. Uh, when he passes through, shuts it up, gathers, nobody changes that. He knows false men when he sees wickedness, he considers it. A senseless man takes heart when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. It's impossible, is basically mm-hmm. what he's saying. You you can't know God. You can't know his ways. So, again, something we can agree with. This is, this is truth that he is saying here. In fact, God himself is going to say it near the end of the book. You don't know my ways, Joe. Right. You can't understand me. So... 
But he doesn't say it bludgeoningly. Right, right. And there is a sense of attitude that's that's going on here. And it is that self-righteousness that and zeal that Zophar is feeling that, that leads, leading him to say these things. Yeah, he definitely has an aloof, I am pure, I am, I'm clean, I'm up here, and you're down there. Kind of a feel to the way that he's saying these things. Right. So in verse 13, then he switches again. So he's talked about your speech is, is obviously wrong. You're, you're, you're deluding yourself. You can't know God's heart in 7 through 12. And then in 13, he then launches into Job's own sin. If you would prepare your heart, stretch out your hands toward him. And if there's wickedness in your hand when you stretch it out towards him, then you'll put it away from you and do not let your perverseness dwell in your tents. Then indeed, God shall lift you up and your face, lift your face without spot. And you shall stand firm and not be afraid. Because you will forget sorrow and you remember it as waters that have passed away. So, repent. Repent and all will be restored. Mm -hmm. Your life will be brighter than noon. You'd soar upward. You'd be like the morning. You will, you shall trust because there's hope. And when you have searched, you shall lie down in safety. You shall rest and no one would make you afraid. And many shall seek your favor. But the eyes of the wicked, they're consumed, they shall not escape, and their only hope is in death. And so, basically he's saying, your eyes are wicked, and your only hope is death, right. if you don't repent, and then you'll be fine. No, he's, he's alluding back to what Job has said before, my only hope is in death. Mm -hmm. Job has called that out and asked for death multiple times. That's true. And so he's saying, because your only hope is in death... You're one of these wrong ones. Mm. You have, you are going to be consumed. You're not going to escape God's judgment. Simply repent. Repent of your wrongdoing. Repent of your evil and God will lift you back up. Mm -hmm. And he's got this dogmatic, uh, stance to his, to his response. He's coming at it from a point of pure theology and dogma and doctrine. Not tradition anymore, not philosophy anymore, as Eliphaz attempted to do it. He is pure dogma and doctrine in this addressing is right. that Jones. is wrong. Do right. this, don't do that. Right. The it, end. It's a pure black and white type address. And he's trying to address a man's pain and depression and sorrow and grief with the theology of the depravity of man. Mm-hmm. That's never going to help anybody. <laughs> we look in on it and we're, we just can't help but shake our heads and go, oh, you short-sighted man. But then you think back on the times that maybe you've helped someone. Mm -hmm. And you've come at it from the standpoint of, well, the Bible says, and we know God acts this way. And if you just repent, then maybe, maybe he'll relent. If you just pray hard enough, if you just have enough faith, if you just mm -hmm. if you just do the right thing, then God will relent. You know, I, w I was reading a friend's post recently on Facebook, and she's actually gone through a lot of depression. She's struggled a lot. And I care about her an awful lot as well. But her post said something to the effect of, if you're depressed, then you need to pray 
And then you need to start helping others. Basically, that was where she went with it. And it was very cut and dry, very soundbite. And I know that wasn't her whole approach to it or anything like that. She was just kind of like giving tips that she herself has used to help her, you know. Mm -hmm. But it was astounding the responses that she got on that because people are coming at it from every angle. Right. Oh, how dare you say this? And and others were saying like, oh, what about going to the hospital? What about medicine? What about doctors? And then others were saying, oh, you can't trust doctors. And I mean, it just, it was just unbelievable the number of comments she had on this. And she was trying to say, guys, I'm just giving some tips that has been practically helpful for me, you know? She wasn't like making a dogma. She wasn't making a, this is the only way to approach she this. She wasn't doing a prescription. Right. She was just saying these things help, you know? Yeah. And it was just, it, it just really solidified yet again that none of us really know what to do. Right. Even those who go through it don't have a f- prescription, if you will, like Zophar is trying to give us. Mm-hmm. Of do this and everything's fine. Right. And there are so many opinions about it. And none of us really have a clue. Yeah. Well, that also uh, solidifies in my mind the uh, total depravity of Facebook. Well, that's, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Because you can't say anything on there without the peanut gallery all chiming in with their, with their two cents to try to, uh, to try to make themselves correct you and. More well, but you. to try to correct you in, in the yeah. area where they think you're wrong. And, well, you know, you can't, you can't be wrong. Somebody on the internet is wrong. And so I got to correct it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the reasons I don't really engage on social media in any capacity, even for Darish Chai, is because it just ends up in fighting and it ends up in arguments and it ends up in everybody's trying to correct everyone else on the finer points of whatever personally held pet doctrine they have or dogma or or viewpoint or whatever and basically when everybody's speaking no one's listening right right and that is the truth of it on most social media is there is no one listening it's just everybody shouting to the wind and uh people hearing and seeing only those that that agree with them Mm -hmm. so so yeah, this is Zofar. It's a very short chapter and uh looks like it's going to be a very short episode, but that's not a bad thing. We got to be very careful when we go through grief and depression or when we encounter those who are in grief and depression and trying to help or counsel those who are going through grief and depression. Coming at it from a pure theological standpoint can be extremely damaging. And coming at it from a holier than thou, self-removed, I'm righteous, you're lowly, you're scum. Because quite frankly, they're already feeling that. They're already feeling like scum. They're already feeling low. Right. They already think you're better than them at that moment. And one of the things that's so common- They don't need you to tell them that too. Right. And one of the things that's so common with depression is this idea that if you're suffering from depression, then you are obviously sinning and you're wrong. And, mm-hmm. and that's the last verse of this 
the eyes of the wrong, they're consumed, and they don't escape, and their only hope is in death, is in breathing out their life. And I've seen it, I've seen it a hundred times, mm-hmm. mostly on social media. Uh, someone mentioned something about depression, and floodgates open up of, well, depression is a sin. Depression is is completely curable by God. You just have to have faith. Uh, depression is a lack of faith in God. It's, it's not trusting that God is there. He's good for you. That's not it at all. Depression is a very real state of affairs that doesn't necessarily demonstrate a lack of faith in God. Oftentimes, more than not, it demonstrates a total confusion. Right. with what the circumstances are showing or revealing. It's just an absolute, complete befuddlement. And a turning upside down. The person has encountered something in their life that has caused their entire worldview to be completely shattered. Yeah. Something close to them, some, uh, the some closely tragedy. held person, thought, um, personal view of themselves or of the, how the world works has been completely shattered. And they just don't know how to deal with it. Right. And it's our job as brothers and sisters in Messiah to come alongside people who are feeling that, to help them to work through and help them to rebuild. And you don't do that by tearing down. Yeah. And that's what Zophar is trying to do right here. He's trying to tear down Job so that he can build up God because he feels that's the right thing to do. And we can't lose sight of the person that's hurting. Right. So, yeah, with that, seek life in all that you do. Shalom. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Deresh Chai. If this content has blessed you and you would like more, please consider subscribing, liking, commenting, and sharing with others. To find out more about what we do and to support this ministry, head over to seeklifesc.com. That's seeklifesc.com. We'll see you again next time as we dare as we seek life. Shalom.